It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Philip Lagerkranzer, Senior Editor for Crypto at Bloomberg News. In today for Stacey Marie Ishmael. It is Monday, February the 27th. In a major twist to the digital assets world, Bitcoin has added non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, to its blockchain. The new protocol that makes them is called Ordinals. And just like anything in crypto these days, fierce debate has ensued about this on social media. Bitcoin NFT proponents call the move a game changer. Naysayers, however, worry about potential pitfalls of Bitcoin NFTs, like rising transaction costs and environmental concerns. Joining me today to discuss the ins and outs of Bitcoin NFTs are Bloomberg reporters Emily Cole and David Pan. Emily and David, welcome to the show. We're going to talk about NFTs on Bitcoin. And they've been around for a while, the NFTs, but they really, it was really kind of mid 21, something like that, that they started to really rise into the public consciousness, wasn't it? That is correct. So the the first NFT uh, went back as early as 2014, uh, but it didn't really start gaining any momentum until later in 2021. I think that was one of the best moments for NFTs. And a lot of artists got involved in it. And there are new marketplaces like OpenSea, Super, super rare, and a lot of investors started paying attention to it at the time. And Emily, what would you say so far are the most famous or infamous, if you want to use that word instead, NFTs up to this point? There have been quite a few collections out there. I mean, probably the biggest ones are either CryptoPunks, they, they came a little bit before, and then um, Bored Apes, the ones that really hit the scene in 2021. Those are probably the two biggest out there, the ones that seem to attract, you know, million dollar sales. But obviously in the last year or so, along with the rest of the crypto market, prices souring, NFTs were no stranger to that. And if anything, actually, they were probably hit a little bit worse. But it's because of that kind of collectible nature of them. They're not seen as vital to the ecosystem as cryptos like Bitcoin and Ether. When we go back to looking at the the rising popularity of NFTs in 21 and early last year, it wasn't without any impact that, you know, when, when, when these things started getting minted and traded en masse, 
There was some impact on the Ethereum blockchain, which is where most of these things are minted and, and live, as it were, wasn't there, Emily? Yeah, so as collections got more popular, more people would be coming onto the space, wanting to buy more. And the way NFT collections work is typically there's a, a bunch that get dropped at once into the market, either known as something through an airdrop or, you know, minting. And so when these big name collections would do fresh mints, there would be a whole bunch of people clamoring to get into the space, eager to get their token, um, their NFT into their wallet and then mint the corresponding token that would prove that it was theirs on the Ethereum blockchain. And that rush of demand would push up the transaction fees on Ethereum because so many people were trying to do everything at once. It would slow down transactions for everybody else because there was too many people on the network. And that led to very, very big spikes where, you know, if, if a piece of digital land in the summer of 2022 would cost, I don't know, $3,000, you were probably paying more than that in just the transaction fees to mint the token for your NFT. And all this was happening on Ethereum and it wasn't happening on the biggest blockchain. It wasn't happening on Bitcoin. Why was Bitcoin left out of all this? So I think it all come, uh, goes back to the, the ethos of uh, these two largest the blockchains. For Bitcoin, is um, mainly designed as a cryptocurrency uh, way of pay. It's designed initially as the peer-to-peer -peer payment network. Uh, for Ethereum, you know, it came into being later than Bitcoin. One of the main points for Ethereum is that, you know, it, it is way more scalable at a certain expense of uh, security. You know, you'll be able to scale up the projects and, you know, decentralized applications on Ethereum so that, you know, what the trading of NFTs and the minting of NFTs are much easier to achieve on Ethereum than Bitcoin, just because Bitcoin is not as scalable as Ethereum. And so it remained up until fairly recently when this protocol called Ordinals decided to launch on Bitcoin. And basically there was this decision that NFTs could also live on Bitcoin. What was behind that, David? The idea of having a sort of like NFT-like project on Bitcoin actually isn't new. There were previous projects like Colored Coins, and some of these uh, NFT uh, like projects happened long time ago. They just didn't get any momentum. Part of the reason is just because of all those technical upgrades uh, didn't take place at the time. Nowadays, when we talk about order notes protocols, they are mostly enabled by two major upgrades, uh, Taproot and Segwit. The creator of the protocol, Ordinals Protocol, Casey, he started thinking about the protocol in January 2022, which is roughly like a year ago. And then he officially launched the project on the mainnet, which is the real blockchain, a real Bitcoin blockchain in January 2023. So that's basically the history of uh, the protocol and why it didn't actually happen, you know, earlier than this. One word I see in stories about uh, NFTs on Bitcoin is the word inscriptions. Is there a difference conveyed by the word inscriptions? And how, how does that work, David? So, so for ordinals, it is shorthand for uh, ordinal numbers, which express the position of an object. In, uh, in a nutshell, uh, the protocol allows users to send and receive the satoshis, which are you know the smallest measuring unit of Bitcoin recorded on the blockchain. 
uh, you know, they can carry optional extra data, non-financial data, uh, like digital representation uh, in ordinal progression. This is like what I get, you know, from the interview with the creator. And so that's, you know, essentially how it works for the protocol. And Emily, was there a reason why, like, why wasn't Ethereum enough? Is there issues beyond, obviously, we talked about the gas fees, but are there other considerations behind why somebody would want to launch NFTs on Bitcoin? Ethereum in itself does present several inefficiencies in terms of NFTs. So yes, we spoke about the gas fees already, but also it's a very popular network. Most derivative tokens in crypto tend to run on Ethereum. So if you think about most stable coins, for example, are typically running on Ethereum. They're all called ERC20 tokens, um, and that makes it very, very busy. And not only that, Ethereum is also undergoing its own little life change. It's recently switched from being a proof of work network to proof of stake, which means that tokens are now mined differently on Ethereum. And as it continues to go through these upgrades, it's got several more to come in the next few years. That probably means that creators need to start thinking about where else they can do things like NFTs if there's a future for it. And Bitcoin is is the world's most valuable token still at the minute. I mean, I'm sure there are always reasons for that network to be improved upon. And the hype that was generated around Ethereum in the last few years has definitely made some Bitcoin maxis very envious. So Definitely. And this kind of segues into an area that, David, you are really specialized in and you know everything about, and that's mining. Mining of Bitcoins is something that you've covered extensively. How does this all, this kind of, if you want to call it, a transition towards using Bitcoin for NFTs, how would that affect miners and the mining industry? So miners, the income for Bitcoin miners essentially comes in two parts. The first part is the fixed amount of Bitcoin rewards. Currently, it is about six and a half Bitcoins from a mining a block on the blockchain. And, and the second part is the transaction fees. Um, so if you want to do a transaction, for example, trading Bitcoin, and now you have minting the Bitcoin NFTs, and they have to pay a certain amount of fees, um, you know, as the compensation for the miners to maintain the blockchain and also validate the, the transactions in the blocks. If there's more trading volume for the new kind of NFTs, that means uh, there will be increase in transaction fees for miners, which could be very significant because, you know, uh, there is this event that happens every four years within the Bitcoin blockchain, which is called halvening. The blockchain is pre-programmed to cut the first part of the block rewards, which is the fixed amount of Bitcoin you can get as a miner in half. So like every four years, the protocol is automatically cutting the reward, the first part of the reward in half. So that means Bitcoin miners, they will receive much less rewards over the time. So they need other revenue streams to replace that, to make up to that. So that's when the Bitcoin NFTs come in. So it could be a very sustainable way for miners to get a compensation, especially after the next happening, which is scheduled in 2024. There's one caveat, which is like the inscriptions, the Bitcoin NFTs, it is still in the early stage. If you look at the data, it is um, the trading volume for the, you know, for the number of NFTs, uh, Bitcoin NFTs, it's in the range of tens of thousands of dollars, whereas the same number for Ethereum is about 1.3 million NFTs minted in just 
last month in just January 2023. But is it fair to say that the miners are sort of cautiously happy with this development? I would say from an economic perspective, yes. But like we have to understand that you know some of the miners, uh, they are Bitcoin maxis themselves, and so even if it's beneficial, it's financially beneficial for them. Some of them, they're they're just really really hardcore Bitcoiners, and they they just don't like the idea that you know introducing anything other than financial transactions onto the Bitcoin network. Coming up right after the break, more with Bloomberg reporters Emily Nicole and David Pan on Bitcoin NFTs. We'll be right back. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Bitcoin maxis are ambivalent to unhappy, I guess you could call it. What's been the reaction from the unhappy camp and, and why? You've already sort of alluded to it, but please expand a little bit. So when the protocol came out about a month ago, and then there are, especially like at the beginning of the project, there was so much backlash from the hardcore Bitcoiners. And one of the examples is, you know, Adam Back from Blockstream, which is the crypto infrastructure company. He publicly commented on the project on Twitter, saying something like, this is like not necessary. This is just a waste of resources. Uh, you already got NFTs on Ethereum. Why are you introducing that to the Bitcoin blockchain and and then, you know, put something, put like monkey JPEGs or images onto the blockchain permanently and and then, you know, kind of like getting the chain bloated. That's generally the, the reaction. But over time, I feel like people, there, there are more people from that camp started getting more inclusive and getting more accepting to the idea because it is boosting utility for the Bitcoin blockchain. You know, other than just processing Bitcoin transactions, the blockchain now can be used to mint and trade NFTs from artists and digital artifacts uh, on the blockchain. So you are seeing increased use cases on the blockchain. Uh, So that's generally the progression of this thinking process for for the community. And and Emily, I I kind of have to also include you here because you are our sort of resident expert at covering crypto controversies and the war of the blockchains, as it were. What do you make of all of this and where do you see this traveling? I think it's a very interesting debate because it's not just about Bitcoin, right? It's about the future of crypto. A lot of crypto is supposed to be the payments network of the future. That's always the argument that Bitcoin is the solution for global remittances. It's the the way that we're all going to transact one day, even if even beyond Bitcoin, you've got stable coins, ether, the, you know, the whole bunch. And and 
what the Bitcoin maximalist community is tapping on here is is that very argument whether or not Bitcoin should be open to allowing other forms of tokens to be minted on its network and potentially reduce the ability for it to be used as a payments network or to kind of stay, stick with what it knows and, and keep with that mission. Not that it's been super successful at it so far. And that's where I think this becomes really interesting because if they're going to be able to to get past this, it's going to take a lot of banding together. I think the crypto community itself is still very split. You know, it's not going to convince regulators any better that Bitcoin is a safe place for consumers to be using as a means of payment if even its creators and, and people running the network aren't able to agree on exactly how it should be run. And at that note, I think we can call it a wrap. Guys, thank you so much. That was great. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That was Bloomberg reporters Emily, Nicole, and David Pan. You can find more of their reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. For more, be sure to check out our twice-weekly newsletter, Bloomberg Crypto. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. Have a great weekend. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.